Hello, my lovers, my puppies, my kittens, my schmoopies. Hi. How are we today? How are we every day? Better than yesterday, I hope. Now that we've reopened, and by we, I mean, <sighs> we still have to wear masks. I don't know where you're listening from. Uh, the fact is, wherever you are, I hope you are safe and being respectful of others, whether you choose to be vaccinated or not. Uh, let's just take care of each other. Let's remember humanity first. Humanity first. Well, now that we've somewhat opened up, I am finding myself uh, falling back into old habits of running about town and uh, having high periods of anxiety, especially when I see people just walking in, in and out of places without their mask on. It does something to me. I didn't think I would be that fragile, uh, but I suppose I am. I get home and my favorite saying about my activities are, Wine is my unwind. Well, I am in no way advocating the abuse of wine. I'm merely educating. That's the purpose of what the fuckery, after all. Exploring non-normative topics in a way that helps enlighten us a little more than we were, hopefully. Or if we think we know enough about something, we may hear something for the first time that sparks a, an interest. So the fact that millions of human beings from earliest of times regarded wine as a noble drink tells us that the story of wine in of itself is remarkable. And the good news is that due to the, I guess, historically, the Industrial Revolution, social changes, the breakdown of class barriers, let's just say the luxury of a private seller is no longer unaccessible now. It's no longer unaccessible to the rest of us, average Joe and James. Uh, it used to be a noble thing. I'm often asked by those who know that I love wine, I'd like to get into wines. What do I do? Well, how does one cultivate a palate for wine? Uh, when and how should different wines be served and temperatures? Lots of questions. Well, enter a very noble profession, in my opinion. The wine steward, a wine steward better known in these mean streets as a sommelier. What the fuckery is a sommelier? Well, we're about to find out. I'm Nadege August, your host. If this is your first time with us, welcome and follow us and write a review and you will be an automatic schmoopy. Bienvenue, bienvenido, welcome in. What the Fockery is a podcast about the things we hear about but don't know enough about. 
a series of conversations dedicated to hearing firsthand from the very people whose lifestyle truths or concepts we struggle with understanding, the very things we should know about but are afraid to discuss. Now, our subjects and topics may or may not be mainstream, but our experts are in it, living their truths, whether we accept them or not. In that vein today, my guest is Alisa. It's like Melissa, but Alyssa Bika. She is a certified sommelier at 71 Above in DTLA, also known as downtown Los Angeles. I don't know what came first, the abbreviation or the full, very long three word, downtown Los Angeles. In addition to serving as Wine and Spirits West Coast Tastings Coordinator, she co-owns the home wine party business, Cote Brune and Blonde. Cote Brune and Blonde. It's a, I, what a great name. Um, Brune is brunette, blonde. They also apply to wines and Cote, which could be a coast or a side. I, I wish I'd have should have asked her those questions, shouldn't I? Lie? Well, maybe I did. Uh, Elisa writes the blog offthebeatenwinepath.com. You know, that's another great, great term because it also happens to be her Instagram uh, n- name, Off the Beaten Wine Path. Off the Beaten Wine Path. Say that three times, please. Uh, at any rate, her links will be in the show notes as always. Well, her blog focuses on rare grapes varieties and their perfect food pairs. Alyssa, thanks for the correction. My French tendency <laughs> wanted me to say Alisa, but it's Alyssa. I get it all the time. I actually, have you ever heard that song by the Ting Tings that's not my name? where they say like all the weird names. I was like, I feel like that should be my theme song sometimes because no one can pronounce my name, but it's cool. Yeah. Your name should be added to that list. Yes, yes. It should be. Well, just imagine going through life with a name like mine, Nadej. Once oh you- yeah, I'm sure. I've gotten Nadege, Ndege, Naje, and my favorite, Nudge. <laughs> that is a, you're like, great. It's, it's a stretch. That's yeah. a great speller. They saw N-A-D-E-G-E and they're like, nudge. That seems like a logical name that your mother named you. Yes. (laughs) Well, I must have given her a nudge. Get your together. Life is about to get cray. (laughs) Well, what the fuckery is a sommelier? Um, Yeah, I get this a lot. Uh, And before you even answer... Yeah. How do you pronounce it in English? Because obviously I said it the French way. Um, so the emphasis, it's supposed to be like sommelier. So like if I break it down that way, it's like yay at the end. So it's like sommelier, not like sommelier, which is like sounds like you're from a country or something else. Um, so it's sommelier. Um, but if you've been saying it bad the other way for a while, like sommelier, it's okay. Cause I said it like that. I think the whole first year that I was a sommelier. So it is fine. Right. Yeah. Um, but 
what I do is I always say it's mostly due to like European countries and the French who never like to put their great varieties on the label. It just says Burgundy or Bordeaux or Cahors or Loire or more and more obscure. Um, and so it's my job to know what the grapes are in those wines, as well as what the tasting profile is. So if you go to a restaurant and you see a list of a thousand plus wines and you don't know how to navigate it, I come in and I help you find the perfect wine for your taste or the perfect wine to pair with your meal. Um, another part of my job uh, as I work at Wine and Spirits magazine is I taste a bunch of wine. So today, actually right before this, I did a tasting panel of 36 uh, Sonoma and Napa cabs. So we taste through all the wines so we can weed out all the bad ones and then score the good ones. And then, you know, hopefully consumers can pick that up and look at some suggestions and it helps them weed through, you know, the hundreds and hundreds of wines that are on the shelf. So when they send these wines to you guys, do you, so do they send you cases or just like one of each and you decide which ones you are you think is up to snuff for your place? Yeah, well, they send us two bottles of every wine they're submitting just in case there's a flaw or, you know, it's corked or it didn't travel well. Um, but then also we have both a New York and an LA office. So things that we really like, I'll send to the New York office and they'll also taste it. And there's a whole process. Um, but anything anyone sends us, we do taste. Um, and it's blind. So we just taste them, you know, it's, it's kind of fun to be able to chase them all side by side, because then the things that really stand out, you know, are really phenomenal wines. It's not necessarily that any of the wines that we don't recommend are bad, though we do certainly taste wines that are, in my opinion, not so yummy. Uh, but it's it also goes like how exciting they are, like how much they stand out when you're tasting, you know, 36 to 60 wines in a day. Oh, amazing. So when you say we, who are the partners? Is the panel of how many? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, we have a couple of critics at the magazine that always taste. Um, but then I'm lucky I get to reach out to the sommelier community within LA and I bring all kinds of people in from different restaurants, um, different wine reps, uh, wine shops, anything like that. So anyone who is a sommelier and is currently tasting and has a good palate, we like to bring in different people just to keep getting different opinions. So it's not always just one person's opinion, you know. Gotcha. Gotcha. So what you started out by uh, mentioning all the different regions of the different fit places, but you specifically named France. Um, could you explain why there is this demarcation in terms of regions and what is it that, how do you learn what that region's about and their grapes and why their grapes are Noir versus whatever else they call them? You know, it's a really interesting question because in the new world, which the United States is part of that, um, the rules are a lot more relaxed and it's more of a anything goes type region. There are grapes that certain spots in America focus on. But in general, in Europe, it's much more specific. There's much stricter laws. Um, it's started back like in France, Burgundy started hundreds and hundreds of years ago with monks who basically planted grapes 
And they did hours and hours of research until they figured out that these were the best plots of land to grow these Pinot Noir grapes. And those today are some of the most expensive wines in the world. If you hear the term DRC, that's Domaine Romani Conti. And those are the wines that you're going to see on lists that are $5,000, $6,000, $8,000 bottles. And those are very small, specific plots of land that, like I said, these monks cultivated hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And so there's a lot more history when you go into Europe. Um, They're much stricter in Burgundy, it's going to be Pinot Noir, unless you're in Beaujolais, which it's Gamay. If you're in Bordeaux, it's going to be a blend, um, which I always love. Sometimes at the restaurant, people be like, oh, I don't like red blends. And then they'll go to order a Bordeaux, which Bordeaux are some also the most expensive wines in the world. And 100% of them are all blends. Um, blends of what, by the way? They are blends of mostly Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, and Cabernet Franc. There is a difference if we're going to get really geeky. Uh, the left bank Bordeaux are all Cabernet Sauvignon heavy and the right bank Bordeaux are all Merlot heavy. Um, again, a reason I have a job, because if you were looking at a list, you might not know San Emilion is on the right bank and Merlot heavy, but I could tell you that. Or, uh, you know, uh, Poyac on the left bank is going to be Cabernet Sauvignon heavy. Um, and those are the kinds of things when you're studying to become a sommelier is like the first thing that you memorize. You memorize different regions. For instance, in the Loire, Chinon is all going to be Cabernet Franc. Or if you're going to Southern France, Bandol is going to be Morvedra or, you know, things like that. And they have very specific land and soil and farming reasons for only planting certain grapes in certain places. And that's where the French came up with the terroir uh, term, which we don't have quite as much in the United States, but you do know Napa is like more well-known for cab, um, central coast or San Inez, Santa Barbara is more Pinot Noir. So there's a little bit of that, but a lot more experimentation here. Yeah. And by terroir, we mean terrain, we mean territory, we mean soil. It actually, yeah, it means all of those things, but it means everything that goes in. So it means the weather that year, even so certain years are going to have different amounts of sun or more rain or whatever's happening. Um, it means the winemaking, it, it, it's literally everything that that region does. Um, and it ha- what they call a sense of place. So that's like the biggest translation sense of place. And that is the soil, the winemaking, the weather, everything that goes into that particular area. You know, you mentioned the DRC earlier, right? Mm-hmm. Domi Rumi Kanti. Mm-hmm. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, are these mostly collector's item because of their price tag, would you say? I would say, yeah. I mean, certain areas, like there is different regions within DRC, but like La Romani is the most, it's the very, very smallest. I think that can go for upwards of $15,000. I like to tell people when it comes to a price of the wine, there's a couple things that go into it. I do think that those particular wines are very special and they can age well for, you know, 30 years and do incredible things. Um, But there is also the supply and demand issue. There's only so much 
that's made so they can demand a higher price. You know, you can, it doesn't mean you could still find an amazing bottle for a hundred dollars. Like you don't have to spend thousands. So yes, there is that collector's item type thing. It's also, if you want to seller it for years and see how it develops. Um, but there's definitely not as much of it made. It's hard to get even at the restaurant that I work at, which we have an amazing like award-winning wine program. We can still only get like one bottle of certain vintages of certain regions. So yeah. Amazing. When you break down, so before we, I ask you this, I want to know, do most sommeliers have a, um, a, a region of specialty? Like we, we, we talk about France quite a bit. Did this happen to be where you specialized or did you also do a lot of Italy or even yeah. Spain apparently is great for their Carmen airs. And did you have to have a holistic approach? Yeah. I mean, for me, especially working in a restaurant, I think it's, good to have I, I study all regions but everyone is different I mean if you're a wine rep for like Oliver McCrum who does all Italian wines I know people who've gone through like the Italian wine scholar program or, or you know different specialized programs for me and I think most floor psalms that I know it's more of a general study because I want to be able to equally like confidently recommend something from France, something from Italy, something from Spain, something from the United States. And even if a wine isn't my style, you know, I'd still be able to figure out what you liked and get you something that is going to make you happy. It's less about what I like and more about what you like. I always say if I was going to only drink one country for the rest of my life, I would actually pick Italy. I love Italian wine. Same here. Yeah. Same here. Question. Um, can we talk about where you work? Yeah, of course. The restaurant in, in LA? Yeah, so I, uh, I'm a sommelier at 71 Above in downtown Los Angeles. And we have gorgeous view, obviously. Um, you're on the also, 71st floor. We are on the 71st floor, and it's a 360 degree restaurant. So it's really fun on like 4th of July. New Year's, you can see all the fireworks everywhere or on Dodger Fridays when they have the fireworks, you can see it on the one side. Um, but not only do we have a beautiful view, which I think a lot of restaurants could rely on, we have really good food. Um, we do a three course menu. We offer wine pairings. We also have an extensive cellar. So your cellar you has how many wines? I don't know the exact number off the top of my head, but it has about a thousand different wines. A thousand different wines of which you have several bottles, yes. probably not just yes. one bottle. Yes. Fantastic. You have two. If you come into the restaurant, there's two big wine cellars on either side and one is all white wine and one's all red. So it's takes up like a whole wall. <laughs> Perfect temperature to store wines. I would say, you know, 55 degrees would be a good temperature. If it's colder, it's okay. Um, colder is better than warm. You don't want it to heat up and then go back down. Then you can sometimes have flaws. Um, I think I store, I have a fridge at home. I'll put a red wines that I want to age. And I think I probably keep that around like 48 or so. A lot of people are under the misconception that red wine should be consumed at room temperature, whereas white needs to be cold. Is that true? I mean, 
it's funny. So at Wine and Spirits, we actually blind taste everything at room temperature because a chill can sometimes um, mask bleeding. Mm. So we just did a Chardonnay issue. The October issue was Chardonnay focused, and we tasted all of the Chardonnays at room temperature, which isn't my uh, choice for like enjoying a glass of wine, but it was, it is good for getting the actual like body and structure of the wine. Um, I would recommend, yes, chilling most whites and champagne, certainly, but you don't want to overly chill it because it does what a super ice cold, everybody comes in the restaurant, they always want it ice cold, but that actually mutes a lot of the flavors. Um, especially like a good Chardonnay. If you have like a burgundy or something, there's so much going on. If you have an ice cold, like you're not gonna taste all the nuances. You're just going to taste a crisp wine. Um, so I would say a common misconception is that it has to be ice cold. Um, and then red wine, I, I like my red wines at like the 55, 58, 60 could be like, you don't want it hot, but I don't mind it. Uh, if it's a fuller bodied red being somewhat that room temperature, but there's a ton of Pinot Noir or lighter bodied reds like Trousseau or Gamay that can have a little chill on it and be really, really good. So temperature for whites should be the same or does it matter? No, I mean, I would say whites, let's say, I don't know. This is what do you guys keep your, your uh, sellers at? Well, so our sellers are all at about 58 degrees for white and red. But then if we were gonna, that's just to store the wines over long-term. We also have one of every white in a fridge, which is going to be closer to like 48 degrees. Um, so when we take it out, it's colder. Uh, but all the reds will probably stay around that like 58 degrees and then the whites around like 48 I would say you provided the perfect segue because when you talked about red wine you mentioned how you the full bodied versus light bodied uh most people say to me I don't know much about wine I'd like to get into wine and I am like you I love full bodied I love looking at the viscosity and not being able to see anything through my glass like I want dark like just give me the dark berries, you know, and even a note of chocolate sometimes. Can you explain the breakdown of the bodies? Why, what is the, what does that mean? And how do you break them down? Yeah. I mean, so I would say lighter bodied wines in general are going to be your Pinot Noirs. Um, and, by light, more- and by lighter bodied, like when you say light bodied, do you mean like you can see through the glass, you can see through the web, you can read yes, something I mean, you can see through it, but also it's like uh, one of my song friends, she describes it perfectly. It's also like the way that it feels in your mouth. Like, can you think of if you, I actually don't do dairy anymore, but if you think about if you drink milk, how skim milk feels in your mouth compared to whole milk, mm-hmm. right? There is a difference. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. Cause I want to say watery and that doesn't sound like a good term, but if you put a Pinot Noir in your mouth compared to a very full bodied cab, they're going to feel different. So not only will you be able to see through one and not the other, but you're also going to feel like that skim milk versus whole milk feel. So that's the body of the wine. You're also going to feel a difference in the tannin structure. So 
that like drying quality. Uh, it's almost like an astringent, like sucks all the moisture out of your mouth. That's what we mean by like the, the tannins that they're low or high. And so something like a Pinot Noir is going to have a lower tanning, which is why I as a Psalm would say, oh, this can pair with something lighter. Like even if you wanted to do fish, like a salmon or something, you could, you didn't want white wine. You could do it with the red. It doesn't have that high tannin, that no high body, that kind of stuff. It'll still pair. Um, steak always usually goes good with the big cab. And part of the reason, not only is that the bodies are going to match, but that tannin astringency, like if you think of a steak, it has that like fattiness to it, but then the wine has that drying quality in the tannins. So they actually balance each other out. It makes the steak feel less fatty. And then the fat from the steak makes the wine feel less dry. So they kind of balance each other out. Is little there pairing one one? Yeah, yeah, yes, absolutely. That's what. We're doing. <laughs> and so, is there a medium body? Is there some place between that light body and full body? And what are yeah. some of those? Wines? I would say, I mean, so Grenache is a good one. It can it can range from very light. If it's a new world like Santa Inez, Santa Barbara is making some great Grenache right now that's very light and fruity, but I would say that's lighter bodied. If you hear of Chateauneuf de Pop, which is a very famous region in Southern France, those are all blends, but they're Grenache heavy. And those ones are going to be rich and full and have a lot of savory qualities. So it can run the gamut, um, but they can all often fall in like a medium area. Um, I really like Carignan as a grape. It's not as well known, but it's a more medium bodied. It has some of that earthy quality, but it's not hitting you over the head like a cab or a Syrah. Um, as well as I really like, I'm a big fan of Tempranillo, uh, those Spanish mm. Riojas. Those can be kind of medium. I love a nice Tempranillo. And also yeah. Carmenere. Where is Carmenere oh, yeah. from? It's well, the same so world as Tempranillos, right? Well, interestingly, Carmenere is actually one of the original Bordeaux grapes. Um, it's actually referred to as like the lost grape of Bordeaux. Um, and so technically they can still grow it in Bordeaux if they want to. But I, I feel like next to no one does anymore unless they're just trying to do something unique. Uh, but what happened with Carmenere is as they're settling the new world, a lot of it went to Chile. Uh, and at first they thought it was Merlot. They thought they were shipping out all these Bordeaux grapes and they thought they're growing Merlot and somewhere down the line, I don't know the exact year they did tests on it and they figured out it was Carmenere and it does great in Chile and South America. I think Argentina does a little too, and it's really great there. Um, it's definitely having a moment in Chile for sure. They're trying to make it more of like a national grape mm. to kind of stand out. Which is interesting since considering it was shipped to them, it's not orig it's yeah. not part of their terroir, their natural terroir. Yeah. Another one like that, like Tanat is a grape that's doing really well in Uruguay. And that's originally from Southern France too, from the Madeiran region. So there's a lot of grapes that kind of didn't come to popularity in France um, and that have done well in the new world. Pinots, we've got the Pinot Noir, which belongs in the red world. We've got the Pinot Grigio. And then there's some, I sometimes hear people say Pinot Gris. Oh, it, mm -hmm. What are the differences between the Grigio and the Gris? So Pinot Grigio and Pinot Gris are actually the exact same grape. 
but it, they're called different things in different places and the way that they are made uh, makes them taste differently. So Pinot Grigio, when you hear that, you're either hearing Italy. I mean, Italy is the like best place for the Pinot Grigio style. There is also a lot of Pinot Grigio in California. And usually when they make it in that style, it's very light and crisp. You have, you know, some citrus, you have some like stone fruit, you got a little bit of like nutty quality, but it's very light and crisp is the way that it's made. Now the same grape grown in Alsace in France is where Pinot Gris really took off. And if you've ever had an Alsacean Pinot Gris, it's like honeyed and buttery and rich. It can sometimes have a little bit of sweetness. You get a lot of that like apricot, peach, like just very rich and floral and honeyed. And then Oregon kind of took that style and did their own twist. So I always like to say Oregon, they call theirs Pinot Gris as well, but it's somewhere in between a Pinot Grigio from Italy and a Alsatian Pinot Gris. It's kind of like a little bit richer, but still has that crispness. So they're all the same grape. It's mostly like the terroir that we're talking about is different and the winemaking styles are different. Got it. Uh, so we have our, our Pinot world. So when you are evaluating your wines and you have spe- specific languages that you use, what are those? I know you, we've covered the body. What else do you look for when you're evaluating? Yeah. The, the first thing you always look at is the site. You can actually tell a lot about the color of the wine, like a super pale, almost like austere silver wine is sometimes always a Riesling. Uh, you know, if it is super golden, it could be something like an Alsatian Pinot Gris or like a Chardonnay, you know, so the color will tell you a lot. Um, the viscosity you talked about, like when you swirl the glass and it makes those legs, just seeing if it comes down as a flat sheet or it comes down as thick legs, will tell you a lot about the body and the alcohol of the wine. Is that why people swirl their glasses just to see? I think a lot of people do that because they think that's what they're supposed to do. They think they're opening it up when in fact you're checking for the viscosity, you're checking for the legs. Well, it's both. By swirling it, you do oxygenate the wine, which gives it more aromatics, you know, and it does help opening it up. That's why we decant wine sometimes. Just having the air go through does help the wine develop and open, but from a blind tasting aspect, like if I was swirling it, I am looking for those tears or legs to see the viscosity, to tell me the body, to tell me the alcohol. Um, and that gives me a clue of what the wine could be like a German Riesling is never going to have high alcohol. So if it's having a ton of tearing and viscosity, I'm like, okay, maybe I can rule that out. Um, so once you look at the site, that's a site, then you smell it. Um, you're going to get the different fruits, whether it's white or red, um, you're going to get earth or non-earth. You're going to find out if there's Oak or not Oak, and that helps you narrow things down as well, or just assess the wine. And then you taste it. That's the, on the palate. And then yeah, I'm like sight, smell, taste. I mean, yeah. Do do you just fit in, in buckets for a reason? I mean, okay. So for blind tasting, yes, I spit everything when I'm tasting for the magazine. I spit everything because just as you 
imbibe alcohol, your senses are going to get dull, more dull, and that's not going to be helpful. But if I'm enjoying wine, obviously you want to actually drink it too. You actually learn a lot about as the wine goes down your throat, like the amount of warmth you feel, if it goes all the way down to your chest, that means it could have higher alcohol. You know, there's, there's things that you can learn by actually drinking the wine too. It's just, if you're drinking a lot or trying a lot of different wines, you have to spit. (laughs) Yes. You mentioned you could, with the smell, you can tell with about the fruits question for you. People think and probably rightfully so, because when you when you read, oh, it's got a hint of apricot or or strawberries. Are these fruits actually added? Like where? Why are they even being compared to fruits? Yeah, you know, it's such an interesting question. Yes, no, there's no other fruits added. It's always just the grapes. Grapes. But it's like our the cool thing to me about grapes are there are so many different varieties and they are vastly different. And I think just for our like human brain to try to wrap our heads around it, it's easy to give it a, you know, qualifier that we can understand. And the more you smell and taste different wines, it's, you really can tell a difference between something like a Sauvignon Blanc, which can have a lot of tropical fruit, but has like this distinct green, grassy, green bell pepper type quality compared to, you know, a Chardonnay, which is going to have, especially if it's oaked, is going to have all these caramel and nutty, like oxidative qualities. Like you start to be able to smell the difference where I would say, if you're looking in the new world, the Sauvignon Blanc could have more peach and tropical notes and a Chardonnay would have more apple and pear. And the more you smell and taste, like you do start to pick up those differences. The, the fruit, the fruit question. Yeah. Um, and now we're going to talk about the controversial rosé. And I say it's controversial because I heard the cutest thing. Um, it's a it's a former roommate of mine years ago said, oh, rosé is actually like when you mix some white wine and some red wine together, it gets pink. So that's rosé. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not how that works. <laughs> you know, they're, actually, they're actually back in the past. There have been rosés where they add a tiny bit of red wine uh, in the winemaking process. And that's how it made rosé. That's not the common thing now. Now it's usually the grapes sit on the skin for just a tiny bit to give it that pink color and then they take it off. Um, so as it it's meant to be a white grape and they let it sit a little longer or what's the deal? It's no, actually grape. most rosés are red from red grapes. So like from Pinot Noir or, I mean, it can be from anything from Syrah, Cabernet Franc, anything. Um, but they let it, like I said, they crush all the grapes and they let it sit with the skins for just a little bit and then they'll press it and it'll come out. Um, even red grapes, if you were to press them right away, they'd come out white. That's why a lot of champagnes have Pinot Noir and Pinot Munet in them, but they're all clear unless it's a rosé and then they'll let them sit a little bit. Um, but if you press it right away, it comes out clear. If you let it sit for a really long time, you're going to get a red wine. But if you let it sit just for a little bit, you'll get that pink. Mm-hmm. Not to put you on the spot, but you sound like it's a dream, dream job, especially for someone who enjoys a nice glass of wine and sometimes bottles at a time. That's me. <laughs> so, how do you stay healthy? 
<laughs> you mentioned you spit it out. I understand yeah. why you have to. I mean, yeah. when I've gone wine tasting in different places, wine regions here in California, I know that I start with the best at the beginning and then work my way down to the lesser vineyards because I know my senses are dull and I will not appreciate the, you know, the less expensive wine, so to speak, or less, you know, yeah. the quality is not up to snuff. How do you manage on your in a personal life? I mean, if I go wine, t- it's a, if I go wine tasting a lot, if I'm going to like really assess wine, I actually go by myself and I do spit the whole time. If I'm going with friends, like, yeah, I'll just drink a little bit and I make sure that I eat a ton. I think in, in like my everyday life, I'll say I'll have probably a glass of wine most days, but not like, I'm not drinking like a bottle every day. I feel like I <laughs> Right. right. A thing happens too. Like the more you taste, like today, like I said, I tasted 36 cabs. And it's only two o'clock in the afternoon, by the way. What time did you start this morning? Pacific Standard Times. At 10.40 a.m. At 10.40 a.m. What a job. How awesome. And it's all condoned. Yeah. Yeah, You know what I mean? Like if you have to, you cannot not. I do. Yeah. If I could have tasted more today before I have to go to my second job, I would have because I'm behind. But yeah, no, like tonight I probably won't drink any wine because I'm just tired from my, like the people talk about palate fatigue. Like it's a real thing. I feel like your tongue gets tired. Like have you ever eaten like too many Cheetos or like salty food and you get that like weird feeling mm-hmm. on your tongue. Like I get that from too much wine. And then the last thing I want to do is Just have some more. Wine. Yeah. 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 Wow. Amazing. <laughs> uh, how does one become a Psalm? Um, I mean, the one thing that's interesting is there's not like there is, I, I personally haven't gone through W set, which those are more maybe classes. I went through the quartermaster sommeliers. So it's a lot of self-study. Like they'll give you a recommended reading list. I think some of the first books I read were Wine Bible, Windows on the World, and Wine Atlas. Um, there's also like Guild Psalm is an online thing that has study guides and practice quizzes you can take. Um, but like I, when I did it, I had been working in restaurants for a long time. I, I always liked wine. I was like, I want to get into this. And so I took the level one and it's, they send you a book and that's like a two day course. And then you take a test. So one was pretty easy standard, but then like when I was studying for my level two, it is, it's like those Psalm documentaries that you see on Netflix or whatever it's on. It's like, you have to do the blind tasting. You have to do a theory and you have to do a service. Um, I remember I was most nervous about the service. Uh, and then the service ended up being the easiest part for me because I've literally been serving my whole life. Um, but you just got to study and, and then taste a lot of wine, join a blind tasting group and try things you haven't tried. Like, don't always drink what you like. Try to try a wide variety. Mm, That's wonderful. Uh, have I left any stones unturned? Cause I'm sure we can go on and on and on about the vinos. Yeah. I would just say just for regular like consumers, you know, I get questions a lot about like, oh, is it really worth it spending a little bit more money on wine? And I always say there is to me a huge difference between $8 bottle and a $20 bottle. Um, 
then maybe some difference when you're going 20 to 50. And then once you get over that, there's so many other factors that go into the wine. Um, you don't, you definitely don't have to spend a lot of money, but I would recommend, uh, I have so many friends who just, you know, buy the two buck Chuck or, you know, whatever they can. That's for cooking. That's what I think. But I just, I know a lot of people who like to buy their like $8 apothic bread and like, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you can venture out, you know, even to just like the $20 and if you don't want to go to a liquor store, even Whole Foods has great wine selection. Trader Joe's, surprisingly. Yeah, like some unique varieties. And just, I think if you're really trying to get into wine, like spending that extra 10 bucks, like it really does make a difference. And once you do, you kind of poo poo the other stuff, yeah. you know, I tell you, Camus was a very dangerous uh, proposition for me because <laughs> your average Camus bottle is, I mean, in the, that's the low end $57. Um, when I go to Paso Robles or Paso Robles, Justin, Justin Vineyard is my jam. <laughs> I don't know. I do know what it is, but there is something about the quality um, that makes it a special occasion. Right. Yeah. But, and, and, but even like, you know, it's hard. So Camus, that's obviously Napa. Justin has a great name. So there are things that go into the price even if you didn't want to spend 50, I always say go to a lesser known region, right? Like if you look at France, everybody knows Burgundy, everybody knows Bordeaux. A lot of people don't know Loire Valley. Or or else. Yeah. So if you, but if you go to Loire Valley, Chinon is a region that makes Cab Franc and they make it very, very exceptionally well, but people don't know about it. So you can get an amazing bottle of Cab Franc from Whole Foods or wherever for 18 bucks, you know, like you don't always have to spend the Napa money though. Certainly you'll find some good quality. Um, there are ways around it if you go for a lesser known region, but I would, I don't want to say bad things about grocery store wines for everyone, but I, I just want everyone to splurge a little bit, like go a little bit up and you might find something that blows your mind. World market. Oh yeah. World market's great. Yeah. A great selection. It's yeah. a little hidden gem, like yeah. that wine section you go there and yeah, I've never been disappointed there. Uh, and finally the big deal, Beaujolais Nouveau is here. Beaujolais Nouveau. What is, what the fuckery is up with that? Because I have to say some so-called Nouveau Beaujolais, I'm just like, ugh, I, what is it? What's the big deal with it? So the history between Beaujolais Nouveau is, I mean, I would love to go to Beaujolais. It's, it's, it was made for a festival. They have a huge festival in Southern Burgundy and everybody's out on the streets and drinking and going to cafes. And it sounds like an amazing time, but these wines are made that year. They are released after November 1st and everybody just goes wild, but They've had no aging. They've really don't have much structure. They're just light, fruity, easy, quaffable party wines. Um, I don't know if it's something that I'm wanting to seek out here. Uh, It definitely isn't going to age at all. It's more of like a fun 
thing for them there. And I would love to visit. Uh, but there, that doesn't mean there's certainly, I don't want Beaujolais Nouveau to give other Beaujolais a bad name because there are some Grand Cru Beaujolais from Morgon or Moulin Avant that are amazing. Um, but the Beaujolais Nouveau, it's so funny. My business partner for my tasting, she's like a historian. She knows all the all the tea on this, but it's definitely more of like a, a festival. They're going to get rid of all of their first harvest grapes and have a fun time. Mm, fantastic. Ooh, we, we are spilling some tea. Wouldn't you say my lovers, my puppies, my kittens, my schmoopies. Listen, I don't know about you, but I'm more likely to stick with a healthy habit. If I know why it's helping me. And that's why I'm happy that we are now being sponsored by Peak Tea. Now, why do I love Peak Tea so much? Well, other than the obvious fact that they are sponsoring the podcast, they are also offering you, my listeners, my lovers, my puppies, my kittens, my schmoopies, a discount. Fockery 5, 5% at everything you order. Uh, use code Fockery 5 at checkout. But back to why. So, Here's what I found out. There are three secrets to unlocking the benefits of plants and to maximize the health potentials. Number one, antioxidants. They are known as nature's cleanup crew. Uh, they are found in green tea, black tea, elderberry, turmeric, all things that they have. Antioxidants help protect cells against harmful effects and free radicals and oxidative stress resulting from aging, environmental toxins, and more. And uh, number two, science tells us the benefits of the plants are groundbreaking. But why are so many experiencing minimal benefits? Well, because the key to getting the most nature has to offer is lies in its quality, quality. Well, peak tea takes the highest quality plant ingredients from supreme sources, like from Aswan, Egypt, to Kagoshima, Japan, they then extract the bioactive compounds in the tea and the super plants at cold to low temperatures for up to eight hours using uh, what they call the cold extraction technology. And the final result, it's an amazing antioxidants. The antioxidants are actually preserved in whole form. And finally, radiant health my gosh, Radiant Health comes with consistency and Peak Tea's products are designed to be simple, effective, and enjoyable. Trust me, take it from someone who is now a Peak Tea fan and addict. I do their Puer Tea, great for your microbiome. Their green tea in the afternoon. Oh, by the way, the Puer has gotten me off coffee in the mornings. Oh, my New York just came out. Off, get off of me. <laughs> uh, if you hop over to our uh, Instagram page, you will see the tea, what it looks like. Their matcha is to die for. But here's the thing you will never want to use a tea bag again because they come in crystal forms. All you have to do is just add hot or cold water to your peak tea crystals and done, 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 done. Go to peaktea.com. That's P I Q U E. TEA.com. Links and show notes, of course. And use discount code FOCKERY5 at checkout for 5%. Whenever you need a little pick me up, just get some pick tea. Pick tea. All right. Back to the show. 
Hey, listeners. The term self-care is thrown around a lot these days, and deservedly so. And I think we can all agree that mental health is part of self-care. And one of the many reasons we tell ourselves is lack of time and money. Well, BetterHelp.com is the world's largest counseling service. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. Now, BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed, accredited, and board-certified therapist in under 24 hours. Therapy from the comfort of your own space. What could be better than that? You can schedule weekly video sessions or phone sessions with your own personal counselor. You can log into your account at any time from anywhere to send a message to your counselor. And BetterHelp makes it easy and free to change your counselor if you ever needed to. Um, it's very affordable. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling. And financial aid is available. So get started today. And you as a What the Fockery listener, get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash fockery 10. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash fockery 10. In fact, use fockery 10 as a promo code and discount code anytime and anywhere you um, use our sponsors. Okay, back to our program. Yeah. Well, Alyssa. I said that right. Yeah, <laughs> I'm so <laughs> proud of myself. <laughs> you are, you write for this amazing magazine, right? Wines and Spirits. What are some, so do you have your own column? Is that it? You get a whole. Oh, no, it's uh, so like I pitch, everybody on staff pitches stories. Um, so if you were to pick up, the issue right now, I think it just came out today, actually, the October issue, um, I wrote a article about uh, the position of the sommelier and where it's going post pandemic, if it's changed, if it hasn't changed. Um, and I got to talk to some amazing people and put that together. Um, and the next issue, it's all is our top 100 winery issue. Um, so we have profiles on our top 100 wineries of the year. And I got to, uh, speak to some great people at Hendry and Duckhorn and write up some, some things. So that'll be out. And did you get to go to these wineries as part of your, I research? did it only because my deadline is so, uh, so tight. They both like, they've invited me, like I will go in the future, but they sent me wine, which is great the wine comes to my house and I taste it and then I get to talk to people. So I can't complain about that. <laughs> you must have a lot of friends. I like, I'm the person at the part. I have so much wine. It's like disgusting. And I just bring it. Yeah. Yeah. And why wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> you need to help your liver out. Yes. Yes. No, I definitely cannot drink it all. So no, you can't. You mentioned that you are dairy free. I'm curious about your diet, your personal diet. Uh, um, the funny thing is I like, I'm, I like to be gluten free, but I will say on days that I'm going to taste, I usually eat a little bit of bread just to, uh, soak some of that. Soak stuff it up. up. Mm -hmm. But I, I mean, in a perfect world, I like to just eat like whole foods, like veggies, fish, meats, whatever. But like, if I'm going to drink taste a lot, I do put some bread or oatmeal or something in there. You're, you're mostly plant-based. It sounds like. Yeah. 
Yeah, and like and 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 some like fishes and meats, but yeah, if if you're drinking a lot, it's hard. You do have to throw some grains or got to have some potatoes in there. Something. Yeah, (laughs) potatoes are good too. Yeah, (laughs) that's why people like we like fries and burgers after we're super. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Speaking of radiant health, garbage in, garbage out, as we know. Well, I have subscribed to this new meal service. It is called Vistro, V-E-E-S-T-R-O. Whether you are working from home or commuting to work or going to school or just doing life, when you're too tired to cook or you're too busy, guess what? You end up inevitably that fast food drive through looks amazing, doesn't it? I've been there, done that. Guilty, guilty, guilty. And we just end up making perhaps not the best health decisions. Well, Vistro makes these delicious chef-inspired plant-based healthy alternative meals delivered straight to your home anywhere in the U.S. All you have to do is just heat and enjoy. Some of them follow the recipe. If it says in the oven, do it in the oven. Microwave, microwave. However, all I know is For me personally, it has been a game changer. It's saved some time, my health, and my portion control. My favorites from Vistro, okay, my absolute favorite, you guys, is this impossible gluten-free lasagna. Can I just say I have fooled a friend who is Italian who just loves these lasagna, and when he discovered that I, you know, tricked him, he was just really blown away. I also like their jackfruit pozzole, the Moroccan melange. I could go on, but I do. So I order a la carte. It's just how I do it. Uh, but why am I sharing this with you? Well, here's what Nadege August does for her lovers, puppies, kittens, and schmoopies. If I love something, I just reach out to the company now and I go, hey, I have a podcast. I have people who listen. What can we do? I want to give them a discount and share this with them. And of course, they obliged. So the best part of all of this is that the What the Fockery family, you, my lover, puppy, kitten, schmoopy, and your friends and family, feel free to share this code, is Fockery25. Punch that puppy in at checkout where it says promo code, and you will get 25% off. Just go to vstro.com. That is V-E-E-S-T-R-O.com. And you can either automate or just order your meals at a la carte. Healthy meals. The links are, of course, in the show notes. And you know what? You don't have to subscribe. I just do like 10 meals every 15 days because based on my lifetime, lifestyle, that is all I need. Uh, and you're not tethered to it, right? You try it once. You're not crazy about it. Stop. But I promise you, you'll be hooked. It doesn't hurt. Vistro.com. Com fuckery twenty five. Wow. Well, this is this is like a step up from getting to from getting drunk just to get drunk like you probably most people did uh, in their younger years. This is like grown up, yeah. <laughs> grown up. This is adulting. This is the part of adulting that isn't too hard, especially if you splurge for an eighteen dollar bottle of wine. Leave the two buck <laughs> chuck alone. It's yeah, that's what you gotta say now. When you're buying wine, just say I'm studying. I'm studying. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm just you know enhancing my uh, uh, resume here. 
Don't know when it'll serve me, but it might one day. Yes. So we, I am looking forward to your article. I am definitely going to seek it out and uh, look forward to more from you. Thank you for having me. This was fun. No, thank you for doing this. I feel like we, only the best for my people because boy, oh boy, did I get an expert. <laughs> I, got, I got a writer who writes specifically for wine and spirits. I have someone who currently works at one of the one of the well, better known restaurants. You are a, a higher end uh, establishment. Is it hard to get in? Uh, t- well, it was before the pandemic. We're in the same situation as everybody else is being a little bit sh- short staffed right now. Um, but it, as far as like coming to the restaurant, we have been booking like crazy. Um, so if you want to come, please make Call a reservation you? ahead of time. No. <laughs> <laughs> or that. I don't know. Elisa. <laughs> uh, Alyssa, it's okay. Alyssa, oh my gosh. Yeah, I, I hesitated. I wrote it down too. I know, I saw, I saw. I, I know, I know. And I'm holding a pen as proof. Um, will you share uh, your social media with us? Is that something you fit for your, for your yeah. stuff? Yeah, I'll put um, it in the show notes for anyone who wants to follow you and your wine, you know, oh, writing yeah, sure. or anything like that. Whatever you're comfortable with. I was trying to pair, my thing is I like to pair like weird, obscure grapes with food. So mm-hmm. if you're geeking out over weird grapes or want to see some cool wineries, that's the kind of stuff I post. Oh, nice. On Insta and Twitter or just Twitter? Just Insta. Just I'm, Insta. I'm like social media challenge. So for me, keeping up just Insta, that's enough. <laughs> yeah, no, it's plenty actually, because it's visual, right? Yeah. And, and you know, you can go on and write all this stuff to explain. I ca- guarantee you no one reads it. I know, right, yeah. No one reads, no one reads. I sometimes purposely post things that have nothing to do with what I've written. And people are like, yay, good job, I love, I love. I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> that's fine. All right, so uh, every guest before they say goodbye, they say goodbye to the audience the way they say goodbye to a loved one. Do you have a cute way that you say goodbye to either a pet, a parent, a a, a, a friend, um, you know? A cute, oh my God. Well, my pet, it's so embarrassing, but I guess I'll say, so my cat, I have a million uh, nicknames for him, uh, but one of them is Chicken Nugget. So I... <laughs> I don't know why he's kind of tiny for a cat. He's like eight pounds. So he's my chicken nugget. So I will say goodbye to all my chicken nuggets out there. All right. Chicken nuggets. You heard it here. (laughs) Thank you so much. And I'll be seeing you soon at your resto. Yeah. Come in, please. I will. I'll ask for you too. You better come out and say hello. (laughs) Bye. Bye. 